And good morning. Welcome to the Old School podcast about a veritable plethora of things, not least of which education, history, sports, philosophy, literature, food, culture, you name it, we talk about it. And with me, here, Dr. Bourgeois. Good morning, Dr. Bourgeois. Here, Miller. Um, that was the, the shortest introduction on record, and I kind of <laughs> liked it. I usually get off track, and, and I don't even know what to say. Um, so thank thank you for the brevity. Um, it, it's not just we'll the fix two that of, later. <laughs> yeah, but it's not just the two of us. I think you were making time for our guest. Um, yes, that's it. And so you just cut right to the chase instead of your normal <laughs> whimsy, uh, talking around something. But but I, I, we might as well introduce our guest now. This is Dr. Alex Fingers, uh, a good friend and a, a high school principal in the DFW area. Uh, welcome, Alex. I'm glad to be on you guys' show. I appreciate you having me. Even though the uh, one of your co-hosts is a Ravens fan, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna find a way to get through this uh, together. Well, I appreciate you dealing with my moral depravity and uh, my <laughs> lack of uh, discernment, judgment, uh, so. <laughs> and it is that is with that topic that I do have an initial problem, and I need help <laughs> right now. My daughter in the background, hopefully you cannot hear it. She's like three rooms down. She is listening and singing at the top of her lungs. Uh, Taylor Swift. Pitbull showed up earlier. I don't know what she's doing. She's nine. <laughs> this is not the way I raised her. I want everyone to know just off the bat. This is not what I was hoping for when I first took that bundle of joy home. I had images of a Stones fan, a Blues fan, a Jazz fan. I, I had all these ambitions, and they're all to the wayside. And my concern is, how do you fix it? How do I get this kid off this stuff and back to more substantive, uplifting music? Not to sound like the preacher from Footloose, but I mean, this is this is not good. Which I don't a lot like <laughs> Footloose. <laughs> Alex, I'll let you take the first crack at solving Mayor Miller's problem. I'm impressed that you were able to slide footloose into this conversation <laughs> with Taylor Swift. You should get points just for that alone. Listen, I, I understand. Um, again, I'm a high school principal. and One of the things that uh, I'm responsible for is, is, is a little bit of oversight of the type of clubs or the, the, the list of clubs that are, that are desired by our students. And so uh, one of the, the most popular student-led clubs is the Swifty Club, which is all about Taylor Swift. And you'd be surprised the number of things that they could think about to discuss on the, on the topic of Taylor Swift. And we, we kind of started off talking even before we, we started recording about football and my God, she's even crossed over into the NFL network and and <laughs> has, has made an impact on the jersey sales even of a football player. So, I mean, I hate to tell you this, but uh, she's pretty she's pretty powerful, and I don't think I don't think she's losing any power by the day. Here's what we need to do: we need to create a Nina Simone group, Nina or a Stevie Nicks group, oh. or something. Let's let's, yeah. let's, let's, get, let's get an implant in there. We'll rig it. It's, you know, maybe <laughs> can't tell me Nina Simone can't stand up to Taylor Swift. 
There's got to be something. Mm -hmm. There's got to be salvation just around the corner. Man, that's a that's a, that's a tough road to hoe, as my grandparents would say. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift is pretty, pretty, pretty powerful, man, and uh, and she's talented. You cannot deny that. Man, that's you know, true. Sells out stadiums at the clip that she does. You you, you got to at least respect her craft and her her dedication to it. So uh, the thing uh, is. Just having haven't seen the list of things and uh, just understanding what high schoolers are interested in, uh, I, I'll just say this. If it makes you feel any better, it could be worse. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking that of all the things she could have been getting into. But I just I just it's like a, um, it's like when we had this idea that we were going to turn her into this Epicurean kind of eats everything kind of individual. And that, of course, that went down the tubes pretty fast. And then. Same thing with the music, you know. You know, she got a good dose of Stevie Nicks and Sarah Vaughn and uh, and and the Pretenders and all this other stuff. And she just, I mean, she'll listen to it if I'm listening to it, but she just doesn't gravitate towards it the way some of these talented folks today have the capacity of doing. But, but alas, you're not here to help me with my variable rental <laughs> issues. No, he, isn't, but, uh, he isn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm here for I'm here for moral support. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Keep alive, good music still exists, and uh, sometimes people discover it at a different different clip than than we'd like. But uh, keep sure. hope alive. Keep hope alive. Your job is to keep pressing play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Bourgeois, you and Dr. Fingers have been working together on a particular project. That seems like a kind of an obvious beginning. Uh, Dr. Fingers, would you like to talk a little bit about what it is that y'all are working on and what kind of led you to yeah. this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, one of the things that I've had a, had a chance of, of, of gaining some great experiences and uh, I think it's, it's, it's had a lot to do with any levels of success that I've been able to sustain thus far uh, is, is my background in athletics. Having played uh, football, you know, at the peewee level all the way through, I think, ninth grade, and then uh, basketball even before then, all the way through college. I got a basketball scholarship um, to to play there, play at the University of Arkansas Little Rock. So, uh, just all of the places that I've been able to go and experiences I've been able to have uh, based on uh, the athletic realm, you know, being able to, to participate at a high level in athletics. And so so with that being said, I've, I've had exposure to really good coaches and different coaches, different styles. But fundamentally, what we've what we've learned is that there is a formula to good coaching. And so regardless of the tactics or the or the deliveries and, and different things of that nature, there are some fundamental things that good coaches tend to share. And 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 we and when you, when you look at our profession, you know, being being educators at heart, um, you always are looking for ways to to move the needle, to to have more success for kids. Uh, to, to create more opportunities for for teachers to to enjoy the craft even more, to give more time back, to 
spend less time doing things that are least effective uh, and then more time doing things that are most effective. And, and, and so naturally, some of the things that our great researchers who've, who've, who've put a lot of time and, and energies toward investigating learning and the things that go into learning, a lot of their, a lot of their suggestions seem to parallel with good coaching. And with that being the case, it it it, it, it warranted an investigation. It warranted a, a, a closer dive, a deep dive into what are the characteristics of coaches and successful coaches at that, and and how they interact with their players, and then um, thinking about that in relation to to students and. And what do students need to be successful from teachers? Uh, I think with anything, like when, like when you think about communications, you're only as effective as your audience uh, is able to receive the message. So if your audience, you might have, you know, designed an amazing speech, but the audience didn't receive it because of, because of your, in, in your design, you didn't consider them most. You considered what you wanted, what you wanted to get across and not what they needed to hear. And so, um, and, and with, with time being of the essence, with resources being finite, you're always looking for things as an educational leader. You're always looking for things to give teachers an edge, to give teachers uh, more of a, an opportunity to, to work a little more uh, systemically and not constantly be behind the eight ball, if you will. And so looking at a study into what successful coaches do and the parallels to that and student achievement are, are things that that have kind of caught our eye and, and uh, has kind of driven this investigation into the topic of coaches and what they do and if those things translate to good uh, data for for our students in the classroom. And let me add one one thing. We're we're expanding the idea of what a coach is. You know, not necessarily <laughs> athletic, but we're we're looking at any directors, uh, uh, band directors, drama, any any activity that's uh, out of volition, out of choice for the the student. And there there tends to be something different in the dynamic. And and so some of our best motivators. Uh, are on the football field, the basketball field, or in the band hall, and and they have a something an advantage that really classrooms don't have. They have a shared goal, um, and everybody wants to be there. And and so it it there's there's a lot that we can learn. And I think our end game is to get the two groups talking together, so that the coaches and their insights can inform you know what should be happening in the classroom. And and um, so we 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 want to talk, and we have been talking to a lot of coaches. Um, we have a nice data set, and a lot of themes are uh, emerging. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the the nature of the relationship. It's not just simply they have a good relationship, but they have a a, a special relationship that's really built on trust and and a lot of other things. It sounds similar to I mentioned before. There was a he may still be around. There's a sociologist named Harry Edwards who worked with uh, um, uh, this 49ers head coach um, back in the late 70s, early 80s. His name is 
eluding me at the moment. You're talking about Joe Walsh? Um, yes. Joe Walsh? And so, Walsh. I call him Joe Walsh. He's a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, you know, Edwards talked about the notion of working with Walsh to try to define what is the kind of personality that you need on a football field, on a team, in order to, you know, to have winners? What kind of characteristics do does a person need to have? What kind of characteristics does a person not need to have in order to be able to create or to look for and to correctly draft the right kind of people to be a part of your team? So it sounds like a little, if I can if I can juxtapose that onto y'all's uh, research, it sounds like you're 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 trying to kind of identify and then kind of promote these characteristics in an effective coach who could also be an effective teacher in the classroom and then also take those ideas to the larger faculty to try to create a, a culture on campus that's both effective and also beneficial to the kids. I think you did a great job of uh, summarizing. Uh, our, our intent. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're we're definitely interested in again student success and and we want teachers to be happy in the process of teaching and, and you're happy in the process when you're experiencing success much like with coaching you know uh, Walsh was happy when he had players like Joe Montana and Steve Young Jerry Rice Roger Craig Ronnie Lott those kind of guys of course makes his job a little easier because you have the talent. But even beyond that, maximizing that talent is probably what what drove him every day as a, as a head coach of an organization that's been really, really successful. So um, the same could be said with teachers. If we could find ways to empower them uh, to, to look at things differently uh, in a way that uh, coaches tend to naturally look at things. Coaches, and I say coaches, but um, Dr. B kind of alluded to it, coaches, directors, um, um, sponsors of, of programs and of theater and, and band and choir, uh, the way they look at their individual talent and, 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 and they're able to get the most out of their talent, um, sometimes they have to they have to stop and really like, reflect on what they're doing because it comes it's just so innate to them and it becomes so natural to them that they don't even fully like understand the magnitude of all of the little things that they're doing that's making a difference in their programs. And so that, that level of, of um, metacognition, if you will, uh, is something that I think has, has been brought forward in these interviews and, uh, has now led to different themes that that have emerged that we're starting to see patterns on and saying, wow, what if more teachers took time to do that? And I know the, the age-old uh, complaint about time as it relates to teachers is we don't have enough of it. And we tend to think that if we could get started faster on the X's and O's, if you will, on the curriculum, then we would uh, guarantee more success. But John John uh, Wooden, UCLA's historic Hall of Fame, you know, he's in the coaching 
probably Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. First at practice, he he basically tells everybody this is a basketball. He shows it to them. And the first thing we're going to do on the basketball court is learn how to tie our shoes. And they go through a process of doing something that would seemingly be a waste of time. Um, but, again, the good coaches realize that they, they can make up time in the air once those relationships are established. You hear your pilot sometimes tell you when they're pushing back a little later than what they would like to or what they were scheduled to push back, that they're going to make up some time in the air based off of some of the conditions. Uh, I think the good coaches, they know that they're going to be always some opportunities to make up time in the air, but they're not always going to be opportunities to establish those meaningful relationships that you can only establish in the beginning. So, so let me jump, jump on one other area because we, we've, we've talked about relationships. I love that, that idea of making up time in the air it almost sounds like a book title, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful image. Um, some of the comments came back about feedback um, and it's something that, that might be lacking just because of logistics within a, a classroom, but the, the speed of the feedback, the just how directed it is. And, and Alex, can you talk a little bit about that maybe on the athletic field and what makes, um, what gives the, the coaches sort of an advantage, but still it could translate into the classroom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about, uh, if you go to party city and you say, I want a coach's outfit, the first thing they're going to give you is a whistle. <laughs> That's pretty much universal for coaching, right? You got to have a whistle. And the reason you have that whistle is because you need to be able to stop things in real time and have everyone freeze. And that's some of your, your teaching that you do on the, in the earlier stages when you're, when you're establishing your team and your routines. I blow the whistle, everybody freeze because I want to. I want to show something. I see something that I don't think you all see. I want to show it to you in real time. I want to correct it, and I want to give you more opportunities to do it again. Um, if if you go back to the research that John Hattie and uh, Marzano have completed, they both of them both uh, both of them have, have asserted that. That feedback, the feedback loop is a very important element of moving the needle with, with, with academics, with, with learning. And, and what I've learned is just in my 20 years of, of, of education, the feedback benefits all types of learners. Uh, just like it does on the field, it benefits all types of players. When you stop and start quarterback and you say, look at your, look at your, your shoulder on that position, it's drooping. We need to get it up. And that's why your pass is a little bit, you know, off when we're running the 15 and out or whatever the, you know, the the coaching is. Uh, if the coach is able to stop the quarterback in real time and catch him doing it wrong, then they're also able to do that same thing, stopping him in real time uh, after they've done it right to also give them some positive reinforcement. So uh, th- that's that's true to the classroom as well. You know, if uh, our, our struggling learners really need to be stopped before they continue down a path of making uh, or creating bad habits or, or starting to to go awry on a, on a concept. They need to be stopped in real time as soon as possible and, 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 and given the right moves to get back on track. 
And believe it or not, it's not been a very popular opinion, but what I've seen is that the, the high achievers, the highest of the high, uh, also become paralyzed when they don't know if they are on the right track. And sometimes uh, we, we take that for granted that they also, they're also looking for feedback often and that reassures that they're on the right track so that it allows them to continue push, producing a product. So um, I, would, I would say feedback has been one that has definitely emerged and it's not, it's not been a stranger to us as far as when you look at the, the world of research around feedback and the benefits of it. But um, it's, it's, it was very shocking, but not to see how big a deal that was for coaches. And, 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 and I'm talking very successful coaches, coaches that have won state championships in the state of Texas at a high level. Uh, how important that that was uh, for their programs. What are some of the challenges, though, with regards to trying to translate what happens on the field, on the court, into the classroom? Because I think we've all had the experience where we know we know coaches that were great teachers, mm-hmm. and we knew coaches that were horrible teachers. And mm-hmm. and if you take away, you know, maybe just someone who's you know who's not interested in it, you know. If someone who wants to do well but is not able to do it, what are some of the pitfalls that can prevent a coach or a teacher from utilizing some of these strategies in the classroom? Well, there are several. And and, and one of the things you mentioned, uh, I think, earlier was just the fact that your directors, your coaches, they, they have students who have selected their, their, their uh, discipline, their, their sport, uh, their activity based off of an interest, a high interest, and and the common goal that's shared between the coach and those students in those particular organizations is success on the on the stage, on the football field, on the on, on the volleyball field, on the golf course, etc. So naturally, those uh, those motivations that are that are intrinsically you know, driven help coaches when they're in their respective and directors when they're in their respective, you know, sports. But I, I, I think, I think we have to also assume that when you're teaching math, for example, every student in front of you is not interested in a career that involves a lot of math. And if, and, and if you could understand that what they want is to be successful in your course but not necessarily interested in becoming a, you know, a mathematician, then you'll know how to 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 tailor your expectations, and 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 you know, for instance, when I say about tailor your expectations, for example, um, you you can give kid A who wants to be a mathematician two hundred problems for homework, and they'll appreciate you for it because they love nothing more than solving equations. Student B, who's not interested in being a mathematician, but also, but definitely wants to be successful in your class. I don't think any kid goes up to any class that says, I don't want to be successful. If the teacher's expectation of the 200 problems of math going to be turned in and, and, and received like the, like student A, then they're not being realistic about their profession and about the course that they're, that they're, that they're instructing. 
So then why is that important? In my opinion, that's important because now you have to teach to an audience who may not be as interested. So you have to start thinking about what if I wasn't as interested in math? What type of examples would I like to see that would make something that's abstract as place values? How would I make that something that's real and and not overwhelming? So I think, and then I think that's what every coach does every year. You know, except even the pros sometimes don't get the players that they want on the draft board. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty much at the end of it all once your once your season is started. You have the pieces that you have, and you have to figure out a game plan to be successful with those pieces. I think I think our teachers would benefit from also being realistic about the pieces that they have, understanding their audience, and now designing the X's and O's or the offense around the pieces that they have to maximize that level of of success. And that's what good coaches are willing to do. A, a, A good coach runs a play that doesn't work two times in a row. You're not going to see him run that same plan on third down. And if you do, you're going to start hearing boos from the fans because now they're expecting more out of the coach. Right. Right. You've seen good teachers who've taught it one way their entire career continue to try to teach it that same way, even though first, second, and third down, they've had losses on the play. Right. And so those are some things that I think coaches are willing to do. They're willing to to scrap the playbook from week to week. They're willing to make changes from year to year based on personnel. And I think our teachers have to be confident in their abilities enough to know that they too have the authority to change the playbook and accomplish success, even given the parameters that they're given each year with a curriculum. You're talking about like a mental and philosophical flexibility that a coach or teacher has to have to be able to address this kind of myriad of motivations that exist in their classroom. Yeah. And quite frankly, with the with the on with the uptick of AI and, and, and how powerful AI has become, this is what gives us our job security. The fact that humans can really analyze other humans and 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 make the the changes necessary to fit that human based off of interaction, based off of being able to look you in your eyes and and understand frustration and understand if you're getting it and understand. That's what makes us still so valuable is the human element of it. Because as far as computing is concerned and and actually doing the behind the scenes stuff, you're not going to beat AI. That machine is too powerful. It, it, It pulls from too many resources and it's, and it's too accurate. But the touch that the teacher has always had, that's always been, been the the essence of 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 the school and the same relationship that the coaches and players have has always been their abilities to understand their players and 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 deal with them individually and collectively simultaneously which is which is an art and that's the art of teaching that definitely is 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 something that we have to make sure that we're we're maintaining because if we if we don't get really good at that or maintain that or see joy in that element of it, 
AI is coming to to bring in the science of it. It it knows that, and 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 and, and as smart as the AI is is becoming, eventually I'm I'm, I'm assuming it's going to start being able to pick up on some of the things that humans are able to do naturally. But right now, I think that's where our advantage lies, and I think we should play heavily on those advantages because the relationship part of it is something that a computer to a to a person hadn't been able to necessarily develop. But a human to human, that that relationship has been since the beginning of time. So if we can dig into the the outcomes of a lot of this, we're talking about achievement, performance, winning, um, passing classes and so forth. But, uh, but if we go back to your dissertation and some work by Angela Duckworth, we're, we're behind all this is, is the idea of grit or resilience and creating some type of a character trait uh, through sports, through academics that, that translates and it'll stay with that kid when they're in college and beyond. Um, so, Dr. Fingers, can you talk a little bit about that construct and how it might be the, I guess, the theory behind all of this? Absolutely. And I think I started off the podcast talking about my experience with athletics and how it's been able to forge opportunities for me in that realm that crossed over into academics. But a lot of a lot of the disciplines that that I've that I've been able to to learn from coaches uh have translated into my, prof- my professional work you know uh deadlines and, and 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 you know something as small as touching every line on a line drill becomes now making sure that you read every email thoroughly that you're getting and to make sure that you're not missing out on things that are pertinent uh within that that's that's been communicated to you i mean there there's so many examples of 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 the things that you have to do with, with it, when when it comes to Participating in extracurriculars, the sacrifice, the sacrificing, and the prioritizing, and the planning, and those things that 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 bode well in, in any other realm of life, be it um, college and post-secondary uh, courses and opportunities and 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 running companies, etc. So, um, uh, grit is definitely something that 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 I investigated during my research. And one of the things that that emerged from that was that it does make a difference. Statistically, there was significance found in, in, in certain students and their abilities uh, and the correlation between them having grit and having some academic success. And, um, and, and even qualitatively, uh, all students listed things and our participants listed things and and gave examples very very colorful examples of of why grit was so important to them and how their mindsets um has driven them to to the levels of success that they have and even when they've experienced some some setbacks which is a part of life right just like with coaching and athletics and band and and everything you don't always win first place you don't always uh you know win the state championship but but the but the the abilities to to analyze what what happened what went wrong what went well and 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 come back and to go at it again and and making those self-reflective changes uh, based off of what you were able to you know learn from those 
errors or for, for failure, if you will, those are things that that propel students way beyond um, what maybe uh, they they'd accomplish based off of just intellect alone. Because there's going to be a point where, regardless of, I have students that scored perfect scores on the SAT, and they're still going to go through stages in life where they're going to have things not come as easy, even though they are intellectually gifted and they have a tremendous work ethic and uh, a very very strong mindset. They're gonna they're still going to be pushed to the test, if you will, on some things in some areas in life. And their abilities to experience setback and push through to get to the other side is what makes the difference between a lot of people who you see who are, who are very successful running different things and those who have just as much talent or more who maybe not. I'm curious, you, you know, we, as you sit here and you try to define what makes a good coach and, and how to kind of use that to kind of instruct how we do things in the classroom. Is there something about a coach that's exclusive to coaches? You know, in the sense that, you know, we all have our specialties. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, subject-wise, personality-wise, whatever the case may be. And the reason why some of us are not coaches is because some of us would be horrible as coaches. <laughs> you know, is, the, is there something that perhaps is more exclusive to that personality that is drawn to that field? that maybe is not so easily replicated by non-coaches? One of the things that I, I've, I've noticed in, in my own personal experiences with coaches and interviewing coaches and reading about coaches and, and somewhat learning about a lot of them from afar is they take, they take their abilities to get you to your next level personally. And, and, and in education, that's not always the case. You know, as, as recent as my doctoral courses, I've been in classes where uh, the teacher would say, hey, you should know how to do this. And if you don't know how to do this, you need to go back and watch a video on learning how to do this. Basically telling me, if you don't know how to do it, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You go back and figure it out. There are some videos somewhere that if you watch, then you should know how to do it. But I, don't look for me to help you get to that level. I'm not here to help you. Whereas coaches take it personally. They, you know, it's kind of like kindergarten teachers. I, I, kindergarten teachers and coaches are a lot alike in the sense that they take it personally, the things that you can't do. They say, well, when you leave my class, you're going to be able to do that. Ross, you can't tie your shoes now? Don't worry. By the time you leave my class, you'll be tying your shoes. The bad teachers say, Ross, you can't tie your shoes? Not my fault. Your parents must need to do this or do that. Or the teacher before you should have taught you or you should have worked harder. So the coaches find ways to personalize growth. And, and their players, like they take it as their responsibilities, and the good and the good players who need coaches who who are like that, they feed off of that, and they don't want to let that coach down because they know that coach is working so hard to get them better. 
that they want to do their part. And before you know it, it's kind of like me pushing you on the training wheels, you know, with training wheels. And then I've taken the training wheels off and I'm still pushing you. You're thinking, don't let me go. Don't let me go. And you look back and I've let you go a long time ago because you're putting in the work, you're pedaling. And the good coaches, they'll hold it, they'll hold it back until the, until you're ready to, to do it on your own. And they'll make you believe it was you who were able to accomplish this. And they take great pride in that. They're not very boastful about uh, what they were able to do. If you listen to Dean Smith, you'll never hear him say what he did to make Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Right. All, all you hear him say is, man, Michael Jordan was one of the hardest workers I ever had. He come in there and he did this, he does that. And, and when he left, he was drenched, soaking wet, but he'd be out to practice still taking shots. He deflects all of his all of his input and all of the stuff that he imparted in Michael Jordan to make Michael Jordan who he is or to shape Michael Jordan uh, into the player that he's become. Uh, he, he doesn't bring that up because in his mind, that's just what he's supposed to do as the head coach. And he has other players to do that same thing for. And that's why I say they have that ability to individually and collectively meet needs. And that is not an easy thing to do. Great, great example. And basketball, I think, is unique because it's a, it's intimate. You know, you have a not so many players and a coach working with them. Uh, a lot of things you're, you're talking about, you know, could apply to a position coach who has a very direct relationship with those uh, players and um, in, in a way maybe more closely related to a classroom teacher than, than say, the head, head, of, head football coach of a whole program. Absolutely. And, 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 and the reason why the head coach is the head coach of the program is because at one point he was a position coach and he was really good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he got so good at it that they gave him more responsibilities and a, and a greater group of, of, of players to, to lead till eventually he's now leading the leaders of those of those of those organizations of those teams you know he's leading the position coaches he's leading all of the coordinators etc so i think it also it also kind of makes it even more remarkable the head coaches that are able to build those relationships directly simply because you know they are dealing with a large amount of individuals not unlike a school teacher who has about the course of a week you know 150 160 kiddos you know, the ability to be able to make connections is not an easy task. I mean, right. many people many people can do it one-on-one. Right. Whether you can do it, you know, on scale is a is a different matter altogether. Yeah. And and, and so when you when you bring that up, you, you you're asking now the question, how do I? How how do I make connections with 150 kids? And you can start by smiling. <laughs> yeah. that's universal yes now, you can go to any part of the world pretty much and a smile is universal and you don't have to know the person's name their, their age religion sexual orientation none of that stuff even matters if you smile and present yourself as friendly and someone who could be of, of help of service of support you're naturally tearing walls down before before they 
you know, before you've even had an opportunity to establish those things. And 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 in, in every classroom setting, it's different, and there are different ways that you can go about establishing relationships. I'm, I, I like to look at at things and 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 try to guess based off of, um, you know, like for instance, I, I used to work at a at a school where everyone wore uniforms. So you didn't really get a chance to see the personality of the student in uniform. So if 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 we didn't like one of the comments we made right away when we got on the phone is, hey, what are you doing with that Steelers shirt on? You're able to tell right away my personality towards professional football based off of the shirt that I selected. So it gives you an inroad without even having said hello to establish some level of understanding of who that person is just based by on something as simple as a t-shirt that I have on. Well, I worked in a place where everyone had to wear polos, khakis, and that was every day. No shorts. It was polos and khakis every day. And you had three colors of polos. You had three colors of khakis that you can do, and you can do any combination of those three and three, but that was pretty much your standard until we had a day where it was, no, I don't even think we had that for students. I was going to say spirit day. But that was just for staff to wear a spirit shirt, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it makes it a little harder when you have everyone in uniform, which is why the military does what? They put everyone in uniform. They want you to be able to tell anybody apart from one person to the other. But here's the thing that you do in a situation like that, or here's something I did. I look down at their shoes. Because if a kid only has one way to express themselves because they're only they're wearing uniforms every day it's going to be in their shoes so i look down at their shoes and they were in converse and i said okay people who wear converse generally like this they generally like that sometimes they like this and again i'm just it's, it's all conjectures or uh just speculation but it gives me an opportunity to try to develop something based off of something that i've noticed and the fact that you noticed a kid's shoes is enough to start a conversation every day now. Man, where'd you get those? You like Jordans, huh? Oh, yeah. My dad buys me all the old retro Jordans. Well, guess what? I had those same Jordans back in 1989. You know, and do you remember the game that he wore those in? And, he, and now you're starting relationships just like that before you even learn the kid's name. So it just it, it it takes intentionality. It takes you wanting to do that. Some people don't want to do that. And those people don't make good teachers. They just don't. We have to be honest with ourselves about the profession. If you don't want to know the kids you're teaching, you don't want to be a teacher. That's just pretty simple. Coach, yeah. If a coach doesn't want to know the players, you don't want to be the coach. Because that's a part of the process, you, you know, you're not coaching robots, you're coaching people. And, and again, with AI being what it is, that's where we have the advantage. And if we're not capitalizing on that human touch, we're leaving ourselves susceptible for a lot of things that is coming down the pipe. Absolutely. Um, I, I knew this would happen. You know, it, it feels like we could talk for hours and hours because we're just scratching the surface. So let's consider this round one, if if that's okay with you, Alex. Just the, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a longer conversation and and um, on a personal note, there, there's some football to be watched today, and somebody's got to watch all those games. 
you know, don't watch yourself, you know, so that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's something we also have on AI right now. We can watch games and actually cheer and, and have the emotions that come with losing. Uh, well, I don't think we're have that emotion just yet. No, I, I experienced it last night. I'm still wearing my Oregon shirt because they they played hard. They they didn't pack it in the second half, but um, um, you know they are they, they going to be in the Pac-12 next year? Um, here's the, here's the other reason I'm wearing the, sh- the shirt. The Pac-12 is essentially well, it is dissolved. So we've never we've seen the last Pac-12, and that was the conference of my youth. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, sitting in the end zone of Watson Stadium. Oh wow! All these great teams go through there. John Elway and I watching and all of them were there, and it's it's over. And so suddenly they're going to be playing what Purdue and Indiana and Michigan. They're in the Big Ten. They've dispersed, you know. It's it's sad. So what you need is you need a palate cleanser. This is what you need. This is what Alabama and Texas is all for. It's going to be a palate cleanser for you. Oh, I guess so. (laughs) No, we we don't, we don't sweat the Big Ten. I think we'll be fine. They, they, I don't think that they're looking forward to playing Oregon, you know, because they yeah, present no. a lot of different problems, you know, particularly speed. Um, yeah. That's one thing we can say is that consistent with Oregon is they're fast. They're going to mm-hmm. be fast in everything, basketball, football, yeah. track, cross country. That's, right. fast. That, that's it. Well, uh, let, let's call it a, a day, but uh, to be continued. And, and thank you, Dr. Fingers, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I've enjoyed myself with you guys today. All right. Herr Miller, you want to take us out? Well, until the next time, uh, either with Dr. Fingers or someone else who has the hard task of following Dr. Fingers, <laughs> we will, we'll see you on the next episode. And I shall bid you adieu, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Miller. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Dr. Fingers. Ha, ha, ha.